0: Episode number seven. Today's episode, I will be talking to Dave Cousins of the Straubs, fantastic musician. Uh, Dave was a delightful interview. He's talking to me about the new album Settlement. This uh, interview took place in March of 2021, early March. And uh, Dave had a lot of interesting things to say about the making of this record and his process, some of his background. And I thought it was fascinating, and I hope you do as well. The Straubs have been around a long time. They've been making music since the 60s, and it's a great band. that's still really on top of its game. I hope you enjoy this interview with Dave Cousins. Thanks for listening. Here we go. All right. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection. This time around, we are talking with David Cousins from the Strobs. Dave, thanks so much for, for joining me today.
1: It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. You're almost in the same room. <laughs>
0: We're practically right on top of each other. We've been sort of in this mode of doing things this way now for a year, these, these virtual uh, meetings. And, you know, a lot of that is tied into the Straub's new release settlement, which uh, just came out. And this is your 25th studio album release. Uh, that's incredible. Uh, tell me about the writing of this particular record because i know this was this was a project that took place during the the pandemic
1: it did the albums essentially wrote themselves it seems very strange that uh, we're actually looking at one another on zoom uh, this is only my second ever zoom confrontation believe it or not <laughs> uh, i haven't seen or i haven't been in the flesh with or even spoken in a a meeting, visual meeting like this with a member of the band for a year. I haven't seen them. I hardly ever speak to them on the phone. We only ever communicate by email and even that's rare now. Um, But the album started in the pandemic and it was very strange. It was back in March and they suddenly announced that there was going to be a lockdown. And I'm not even living in my own house at the moment because my house had a flood in the basement and I haven't been able to move back into it ever since. Hmm. So, I'm even, so it was very strange for me to be living in a different house. But then suddenly all the traffic on the road outside stopped. There was nobody in the street. Everything was empty, just strange. And I, I thought, well, I wonder how long I'm going to be here. But I brought a guitar over. It was a new guitar that I bought, a a Dovina, which is a Slovakian guitar. Beautiful thing, I hadn't even played it. I picked it up, put it in an, an open D tuning and thought, well, I'll just strum around and put my fingers down in an unusual position on the neck of the guitar. And I thought, well, that's a nice chord. I wonder where I can go with that. Went on to the next chord and thought, oh, I wonder where I go from there. And within about an hour or so, I had the whole basis of a whole chord sequence that I'd never come up with before in my life. In a a chord tuning, a guitar tuning I'd used before many times, an open D tuning, but I'd never used any of these chords before. And suddenly I thought, that's strange. And I thought, these are strange times. And the lyrics began to write themselves. And when you look back on the lyrics now, you can actually see the thought process that went behind it. And I sort of thought, well, maybe we ought to think about making an album because I don't know how long I'm going to be here in lockdown. We haven't made an album for a while. So I called up Cherry Red, who are record distributors, and said, "Um, do you fancy if we make an album? And they said, well, yes. And we agreed that they would finance it. So I then emailed the band and said, I think we ought to make a new album. And I said, what I will do is I'll do my chords and my guitar, write some words, then I'll I'll put them down on tape, and then I'll send them to Chaz Cronk, our bass player. He's got a studio at home, and he can send them out. Then I thought, hang on, I haven't got any recording equipment. I gave it all away. I had a Yamaha 16-track Flying Fader desk, That I used once, I managed to record one song on it with two manuals going backwards and forwards. I thought, I can't handle this. So I gave it away to a friend who lived in Portugal. I phoned up Blue Weaver in Germany and I said, Blue, what should I use to record something on? He said, Oh, Um, I tell you what, he said, why don't you use one of those little Zoom hand recorders? And I'd never heard of a Zoom hand recorder. He said, It's a four track machine. He said, They're really good for live recordings. He said, but if you're going to do some recording at home, I think it'd be ideal for you. So I looked up on eBay and found one on eBay that was second hand. Well, not second secondhand. It, the box had been opened, but it was a bit cheaper. Got that, and it took me about a week to read the manual and try and get some understanding of how to operate the thing. And then phone blew up and said, I haven't got a mic. What shall I buy? He said, buy yourself one of those small Neumann mics. So I bought that. I had to buy a mic stand. I didn't have anything. And then the pride and joy of it all, I bought myself a pop shield I thought if I'm going to do this properly I've got to have a good pop shield so I bought a Steadman pop shield and I had this little setup and the first thing that I recorded I put a click track on my computer I'm looking at you on now put the guitar and put my headphones on and played the guitar chords to that click track and then thought I'd better put some vocals on it so I then thought, well, how the hell do I do that? So I then played that track back through the computer and sang to it onto the little Zoom thing, but not singing to that track on the Zoom. I just sang it at random and then sent the two independent tracks of my guitar and my voice with no link to them to Chaz Cronk, who said, where am I supposed to put this? So I had to describe to him, will you go into, move, no, move it forward a bit, move it back. That's where it fits there and it was all done like that and it started up entirely quite by accident and the whole album was made like that
0: it's incredible how long it takes to to make some albums and then you have you had to re almost relearn how to make an album in this way how long did the writing and recording of this take
1: it took about six months Um, But what was happening was that when I first did, I did another song then called Settlement and sent the exactly the same thing, guitar and vocal, to my acoustic guitar. And the band said, oh, we want to play this. And back came the most unimaginable cacophony because nobody knew where they were supposed to play. They all played at the same time all the way through. And it sounded chaotic. So I thought, I can't do it like this. So I then worked out the new, the new template for me. I wrote every called out bar by bar of the whole song and then put all in color charts where guitar solo comes in. Bars 59 to 73, please play guitar solo. Bars 81 to 97, guitar solo. And sent that template out to everybody. And then they understood where, where the song came from. What was difficult was actually getting those stop breaks in because I was playing them on guitar, da-da, da-da, ring around the rules, and I couldn't work out how many I was supposed to play of those stop chords. So in the end, I just put four down on that chord chart and the band worked to that chord chart. So every song was then done like that. I wrote out every bar of every song with the lyrics on it, the whole, the whole arrangement on it, And the band was sent that with my original voice and guitar, and they played their bits. By then I'd arranged for Blue Weaver in Germany to be the producer. And all of the parts were then went to Chaz Kronk for him to do the template of me singing in my guitar part and vocal part to a click track. And then it went to Blue Weaver and everybody sent their bits to him and he put it all together.
0: Well, that's some, an amazing way to make a record, I think. But did you use everything that you wrote? I know there were there are twelve tracks on the settlement CD, and and I think nine on the vinyl. Did you use every every song you wrote, or were there a few left over that didn't quite make the cut? There's
1: there's another track left over. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now. It sounds Parisian anyway. Uh, but that didn't make. I I didn't want to do that. And there was another one called Britannia. And I felt that that was too obviously political and too obviously going to date very quickly. Britannia, it was a time when Britain was coming out of the European Union. So the song was called Britannia about a great ship. I was there when the great ship went down. And it's, uh, uh, but I thought, no, that that's too political and too... It, it dates. And I don't like songs that date. And what I feel is listening back to all of our old catalogue or thinking about it, very few of the songs have actually dated. They, they're they written in such, not written deliberately as such, but songs like The Hangman and the Papist might have been written about the situation in Northern Ireland. But as a piece of work, it tells a story, which it could be at any time when there's a crisis going on uh, between government and the army coming in or something like that. Could be about myanmar now it could be about anything whatever's happening in america somewhere but that song doesn't date because it is it's it's an historical song it's not historical i set it 200 years ago just to give it a different feel but those songs have not dated even grave new world new world the song itself there's blood in the dust where the city's heart beats Children play games that they take from the streets. That was written again about um, a situation in Northern Ireland at the time. But when we went back to play in New York about ten years ago, at the time of 9/11, I, I think it must be about uh, ten years ago. um When we sang that song, people that accepted it as being entirely relevant to the feeling and people's atmosphere, attitude to their the way they felt about the tragedy of nine eleven.
0: Did you deliberately set out to write about the state of the world as it has been during that period? Or did it just kind of come through in your writing, like organically? Like, did you set out with themes in mind or did those themes just creep into your writing?
1: No, I, I never set out with themes in mind. What I do all the time is I have a, pieces of paper around and a pen. even in the middle of the night I'll wake up and I'll come up with an idea for a song. Uh, just a a couple of words or a title of a song and jot it down Now it used to be I had notebook after notebook after notebook but now I do it on the computer and I put down folders new songs 2021 is the new folder and there's Britannia will be in there uh, and I may go back and revisit that but I doubt it very much Uh, but then there's um, a song called The Waiting Room I was sitting in the waiting room when the last train went by. I've no idea why I was sitting in the waiting room. I've no idea why it was the last train. I've no idea how the song will turn out. But it's a fragment that is there and I'll go back to it. And these songs were not deliberately, hey, I better write about the government versus the population. No, I didn't write that. The song Settlement came out because the government weren't giving out its sufficient information about what was going on. And in retrospect, I was absolutely right. Uh, there comes a time when every settlement is due. It will, it, it'll come back and rebound around itself. But then Strange Times, which follows that, was the song which was written about strange times. Judgment Day was written about being homeless. You know, looking and seeing articles in the paper, especially in the pandemic, of the homeless people being moved into hotels because they were sleeping out on the streets and there's nobody there to give them any money or to help them at all so they were literally moving them into hotels so the song "Walk down the street every person i meet steps away as i pass by and that that song itself was in all all of these songs came about because of this eerie strange environment that we were in
0: david you've been doing this since the 60s what continues to drive you and motivate you to make new music um i don't sit
1: down and say hey about time we made a new album boys we need some money in the bank uh the, the inspiration comes when i've got songs in my head the Man's curse the previous album to this was exactly the same it came about when i had a couple of songs and i thought I've got this idea of the song of the ferryman's cursor being the follow up to the vision of the Lady of the Lake 40 years on from the Dragonfly album. I was on holiday in Italy and sitting beside a swimming pool and I suddenly got a a whole wadge of paper out and wrote the whole verses of that song uh, in one morning uh and I, I wrote first of all i wrote 16 verses and i thought i haven't told the full story so i added a few more but once i had that song i knew the time had come to make a new album and then i went back to my my notes and see what i had around and i had a song a t- just a title of a song the nails from the hands of christ and where did that come from looking through a newspaper one day and seeing an article in a newspaper saying that some archaeologists had found a cellar in jerusalem and they would excavated it and found some rusty bent nails and said these must be the nails from the hands of christ and i thought come on own up how can they claim 2000 years later that these must have been the actual nails that nailed christ at the cross and so that brought about the cynicism of the lyrics if you like about the young woman It was written really because i went to church over the Christmas period and found that there was no young people in the church at all. It was full of people at 60 and over. And I thought, why don't young people go to church anymore? And I started to write the song about that, about a young girl who walks into a church with her mobile phone, talking away, looks up at her, a cross. And her parents have died. They've left her all their albums. She looks up at a the cross. Oh, there's a bloke on that cross that looks like Bruce Springsteen could be the boss and it's really cynical the whole song is cynical all the way through uh, she goes to a junk shop finds a bargain competitively priced he told her they were kosher Then the nails from the hands of christ it's all cynical all the way through until you get to the very end and you realize that she realizes that it's a, it isn't really there not there the nails from the hands of christ but she thinks back about her parents and what they've done for her. Those are the way that songs arise. I don't plan a song. I don't say, I'm going to write a song about love in a strange place. I don't do that. I write songs that I've experienced something about personally, something I've seen going on in the world around me, and they're a reflection of what I'm seeing through my eyes. And I think the beauty of the Strauss music through the years the fact that we're still making music 50 years later is that our audience identify with the lyrics. Whether they identify the lyrics accurately or not is a matter for their own interpretation. But they often interpret, interpret the lyrics to suit their own way of wanting to look at them. But it's the mysteriousness maybe of the, the lyrics or the fact that they can identify with them, that they've got a soulful part about them or a religious streak in them that they can identify with. No, I think that's the reason for our longevity.
0: You've mentioned cynicism a few times or um, cynical lyrics a few times. Do you feel like your songwriting is a, is a way for you to get that cynicism out of you and, and just sort of maintain your sanity?
1: No, it's, it's a way of if, if I, I, I wrote some lyrics once in a song called Heartbreak Hill oh no uh starting over from the heartbreak hill album remember you only get back what you give and that's the way i my whole philosophy in life is you only get back what you give you give a lot of love you get a lot of love back give a lot of hatred you'll get a lot of hatred back give a lot of sensitivity you get sensitivity back give show some kindness to someone somebody will be kind back to you and therefore the songs that i'm writing reflect what i how i feel and how i would like to be treated by people and how i have experienced that sometimes i do take it out on people they don't necessarily know it's them that it's been written about uh probably a good thing uh, but you know that i do have a way of expressing my anger say that's something that's made me angry you only get back what you give
0: you're album settlement starts out with the title track which is um you know when i when i played it the first time i thought this is a a, an interesting sort of a dark moody piece and i kind of thought well is this setting the tone but a lot of this is 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 very traditional strobs it's very um acoustic it's very you know pastoral in some cases a lot of organ um mellotrons all over the place when you as a band our writing, and obviously this was a little bit different situation, the instrumentation, is, is there any discussion in advance or does each person just bring to the table what they're feeling?
1: Uh, well, the songs that recently have all been put down essentially to a click track with a guide vocal and they get my guide guitar. Um, when, when the band say, what do you want me to play? I'll say bass, drums. <laughs> Uh, but it, it's not quite as easy as that. Uh, on this one, uh, I did give a guidance when I uh, when Dave Lambert said on Judgment Day, what sort of guitar are you looking for? So I said, well, your sprangly guitar chords, and that meant shimmering, karang, shimmering, zhing. So he knew exactly what I meant by that. I didn't tell him where to play it, I just all shimmery And Then I said I want to have some ebo e- on it. You know the Ebo in th- uh, guitar attachment, the sustains notes. And I just left him to it. I didn't tell him where to play. I did, what he's played has just been left exactly as he played it. Uh, but then don't forget that Blue edited it. He might. Dave, Dave Lambert might have played more than I've actually heard. But that what you're hearing is what Dave Lambert. From my interpretation, I said a bit of sprangly guitar an E-bow. and eBo. And under, we understand that sort of uh, thing. Uh, we know Mellotron flutes su- suits the straws very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we well used to that. When it came to Settlement itself, I knew that it had to have that old brass sound that we used from the very first Mellotron that we ever used which is this curious mixture of trumpet, trombone and saxophone. Those are three instruments that made up that sound. But on a Mellotron, if you double track it, as we always do, it sounds strange, eerie, and it sounds like no other instrument there is ever in the world. It doesn't sound like a brass section, it sounds like a Mellotron. But we use that on, on Settlement and it gives, uh, as I, I said to Blue when he was mixing it, I said, my God, it sounds so so, so scary and, and eerie and odd. And so I said, can you lift it a bit? Because he was a bit, he said, no, the melotron's about right. I said, no, we've got to have that melotron up there because it sets the feel and the atmosphere for the song.
0: Mm-hmm. It really does. You just spoke about horns, and one of the songs that's on the CD version, Better Days, it starts off, it's kind of this Latin shuffle, but starts off with almost a startling, uh, brassy, brash, horn-fueled intro. Yeah, yeah. that a blues idea.
1: I played played it on guitar, uh, acoustic guitar, uh, again in one of my tunings, an open E tuning this time, and when I played the intro through, Lou found me up and said, hey, it sounds like mariachi trumpets. And I said, that's a good idea. So when Dave Bainbridge said, what do you fancy on this? I said, mariachi trumpets. I didn't tell him where to play it. And I was delighted when he came back with it because he must have listened to a few mariachi tunes on on YouTube and watched a few mariachi bands because he's got it spot on.
0: Is this a, Is that a keyboard patch then? Yeah. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) it's not bad, is it? (laughs) Not at all. It's uh, I think Dave did a a really nice job throughout of uh, varying his sounds, even sometimes within the same song is it's interesting because he's the only one of you currently in the band that wasn't at some point in the 70s as part of the lineup. How has he been integrated since since joining the band?
1: Well, uh, it's curious when I saw him. I, I saw him first of all. And how it came about, we did a tour as the acoustics straws with Karl Palmer's band, um, Carl Palmer's Legacy, mm-hmm. ELP Legacy. And the guitar player with Karl Palmer, I got to know very well, Paul Bieliewicz, I think his name is. It's a very difficult Polish name to spell, let alone pronounce. B will give up. Biewicz. But anyway. I said to him, we're looking for a keyboard player at the moment, you have got any ideas? He said, I think you should go and have a chat with Dave Bainbridge. So I looked on YouTube and saw what Dave Bainbridge did and he was a guitar player. So I arranged to go up and see him and I I drove up from London, uh, from folks rather on the coast where I lived and up to Lincolnshire, which is about 250 miles and int- stopped at his house introduced myself and we went into his studio which was in a garage in the back garden and i said before we start are you a guitar player or a keyboard player what's your primary instrument and i think he must have realized what was coming so he said oh i'm a keyboard player but actually he plays more guitar than he plays keyboards and in fact he is the we've had fantastic guitar players in our band we've had amazing keyboard players in our band but none of them have been able to play the other instrument to the same expertise, level of expertise. And he's one of the very, very few instrumentalists that I know that is equally as talented on guitar as he is on keyboards. So there's a bit of his guitar playing on this album, there's a bit of his keyboards playing on this album, but he is extraordinary in that way.
0: You certainly have had a lot of talent at, at both of those positions. I mean, few bands can can claim to have had Three different Wakemans in in them over the years. Yep,
1: um, a I tribe talk, of Wakemans.
0: Exactly. I want to talk about um, one of the more, I guess, progressive rock sounding songs on the album, uh, Champion Jack. This is a. Uh, I was reading as an interview with you that you you had mentioned this was about your second dad, and yeah, I know there's right. um, there's the blues musician Champion Jack Dupree. Is this sort of a an amalgamation or, you know tell me a little bit about the the story of this song it's a very good story It,
1: it, song. it, it it's it's not an amalgamation at all it was written about my my dad jack cousins mm-hmm. um my my dad died when i was six months old my mother married again when i was six and jack had been a prisoner of war and still bore the scars not physically but mentally um it, not you would know unless you you he told he told me you know only very few things about it but it obviously affected him deeply and the tragedy was that uh, i was at university doing my last year at university when i had a letter from my aunt to say that your dad's got leukemia and so i went through the whole of my last year at university having to go back and forth to london to see him and he was deteriorating all the time and the tragedy was that I wanted little repairs done on my banjo at the time. And he was such a fit man and so able to do anything physically with his hands. And he was trembling as he was using a drill to, to put a screw in the, in the neck of it. And I was really up, so upset about it and he was deteriorating. And when I came down from university about a couple of weeks later, I had to go into hospital with my mum. And he was in hospital. He he caught leukaemia and it had been going on for a year. And his blood count, which I refer to in the song, was falling. Uh, The red corpuscles were were being eaten up by the white corpuscles. I think that's how it works. And so I was in the hospital with him uh, when he died. And I had to walk back to the house with my mum. And then we had to tell my brother and sister, I told... uh, my mum told my sister and I told my brother that dad had died. And it was a very deep moving thing. And I've had the idea of writing a song about it for a long, long time. And Dave Bainbridge came up with this, the arrangement and I thought it was absolutely stunning and put the words to it. The words had to be edited, uh, not edited a lot, but I cut a couple of lines out because I felt they, were, they, they didn't reflect. They went over the top. They were too much imagination and I had to add a couple of verses here and there. But essentially, it was done remotely again. Uh, I wrote the words out. Where I inserted a verse, I put it in yellow, highlighted in yellow so Dave Bainbridge could see. So we added an extra couple of verses of instrumentation on the harmonium that he, he was playing. And it's the most extraordinary thing. The other thing, though, is that some reviewers have said it's about champion Jack Dupree. Well, I knew Champion Jack Dupree in the early days of our folk career, because we—he used to play in folk clubs and up, especially up in the north of England. Mm-hmm. When we were there, often Jack Dupree would come in, sit at the piano, and sing a few blues songs, and I got to know him very well. But it is a misconception. It's written about Champion Jack Dupree. It's written about my stepfather.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because the, the the Champion Jack and aspect and and uh believe he also was a prisoner of war
1: he was uh, a prisoner of war. it's a, it's a very strange coincidence yeah.
0: you talked about judgment day earlier that song's in five four are there you know what other kind of twists and turns and out of the ordinary time signatures uh, do we have here on settlement
1: well when i had the song i did it in two demos one in sort of a slow three four Walking down the street, two, three, two, 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 people, and me, two, three. That didn't work. Well, I sent it off, and I did it in 4-4, four, four, and that didn't work. But in January last year, I went to South Africa, and I did four shows in South Africa, solo shows, except the fact that I, South Africa's top bass player said he'd like to play with me. So for three of the shows, we had one one-hour rehearsal one day, and then we did three shows night after night after that. And it was the most astonishing music I've ever played. And we started me with me playing one of my old songs on banjo, of all things, uh, and he started to play South African rhythms to it. And we got talking about it. So, oh, no, that's in a sort of South African 5-4 rhythm. And we stayed talking on 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 ebay when i not ebay uh, youtube when i got back And he sent a clip through saying i've done this song in five four with my band and i thought hang on i wonder whether judgment day would work in five four so i called Blue up and said look can you put me down a five four rhythm i said i've i've, list, I've listened to a, a youtube tutorial on playing in five four and they say it goes one two three clunk clunk one two three clunk clunk one two three clunk clunk so blue said yes hang on i'll put you a drum pattern down so it came back one two three clap clap one two three clap clap one two three clap clap well i then started to i put that listen to that i had that on a click track but i couldn't find where to come in the only place I could find to come in was to sing after the clap, clap, one, two, three, clap, clap, one, two, three. So I turned it the other ways. And then when I was putting the vocal down, I went, Clap, clap, walk down the street. People I meet turn away as I pass by. But I was singing four, four while the, back, the track underneath is running in 5-4. But I'm a mathematician because people don't know that I've got a, a, a degree from the university in maths and statistics. And so I worked out if you multiply 5 bars, five bars of 5-8, that's 5-8s of 40, you multiply 4-4, bars no, in four, four, 10 bars of 4-4, four, four, it's 40 as well. So you can put those two beats together one in five four and one in four four and after 40 beats they come back together again now that may sound complicated but the song itself now is actually in five four i sing it in four four but you can tap your foot either and follow the five four rhythm or you can follow it as a four four rhythm and i absolutely love it it's my favorite track on the album it's the most exciting thing I've done musically for many years, and who knows, I might do more. And then we got into Dave Lambert. His song is in 6-8. And so we, we we vary from doing a five, song in 5-4 to a 6-8, sing 6-8. Who knows what to do next?
0: That takes care of the, the question. I was going to ask you if you had a favorite track on that. So now we know. It's, it's Judgment yeah. Day tell me a little bit about the artwork it's behind me it's this um it's a very utilitarian very uh bleak looking hallway uh, how did that how, how did you settle on that image where did that come from
1: i've got a about? friend who's an antique dealer and i'm i'm living in a small town called folkestone on the south coast which is near dover and he Is a photographer as well. He's American. He's called Strode Wagner. And I buy lots of his bits of his antique furniture and antique pictures and so on from him. And I said, Strode, we're we're making this album. And I I had an idea for it, and bought some China ornaments and pieces and made my own arrangement, sent it to Cherry Red, and they said, we don't like it. So I said to Strode, have you got a, a, a... This album, it was going to be called Strange Times. It's going to be called Strange Times. Have you got a strange photograph? And he came back the next day and said, look, I've taken this photograph. It's in the basement of the Metropole Hotel in Folkestone. What was one of the grand hotels in Britain in its day? It's an Edwardian, beautiful Edwardian hotel. And he said, I said, that is exactly what I'm looking for. It's strange. But then the album title turned to settlement. And I thought, well, we'll still call it Settlement. Uh, but, but the reason I didn't call it Strange Times, the album, is I always look on Amazon when I'm looking up album titles. And I found that the Moody Blues had made an album called Strange Times many years ago. So I didn't want to be accused of nicking one of their titles. So Settlement became the title. But it actually works if you think about it. What is Settlement? Is that the Settlement? Is that the light at the end of the tunnel? Or is that what you're being condemned to? Is that where you're going to be in a cell for the rest of your life? Is this the settlement to which you are condemned? There comes a time when every settlement is due.
0: It's it's a striking photograph. And the interesting thing about the cover of this album is if you had no idea what era of of the Straubs this came from, you would have no idea by looking at the cover if this came from the 70s or the 80s or today.
1: Absolutely. Uh, the beauty of it is the way I look at it now. Uh, I've had a few criticisms. I don't mind telling you. People who like it I said, "Oh God, that's an awful looking at. Oh, it's so, so cold and horrible." And uh, that the Ferryman's Curse was a lovely, a lovely cover, a lovely sleeve. They said this one's. Um, I look at it. If you walk, if when vinyl was vinyl, you walked into a shop. This one was stuck out like a sore thumb, I don't mind telling you. You, you wouldn't be able to miss it. And that's what the old hypnosis sleeves were like when hypnosis were making sleeves in the 70s. You, you look at those sleeves and they're immediately identified as being so strange and odd. And I thought this is the equivalent of a, 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 a hypnosis sleeve, if you like. But it's one that, you, and it looks incredibly powerful on the vinyl version when you hold it i've got it I was in the other side of the room and it looks astonishing
0: that brings up another interesting idea is that when you guys started out when the straw started releasing albums that's what it was released on it was released on vinyl and then we sort of went into cassettes and we went into cds and we went digital and now we're all the way back around to vinyl again how odd is it for you to have you know sort of spanned from vinyl going out of fashion to coming back into fashion
1: i think that vinyl is the perfect length format for an album when you were committed to doing no longer than 40 minutes 20 minutes aside on a vinyl album to get the best sound quality and to get the bass as loud as you possibly could then 40 minutes was the length of a really good album When CDs came in, people said, hang on, you can get 60 minutes on a CD. I've been cheated. It's only 40 minutes long. So people started putting extra tracks on. And as a result, in my opinion, the quality of the albums deteriorated because people were putting songs on that weren't necessarily as good as the 10 songs, say, that you wrote for the main album. And therefore, if you had an extra 20 minutes of songs, there's no way you can make 40-minute album keep up that same quality of music. This album was designed as a vinyl album. It ends on chorale. And then when the, we had the extra tracks over, I deliberately didn't call them bonus tracks, I called them off-the-beaten tracks, which is what they're known as. And therefore, they, they were tracks that didn't fit in. The album was designed from beginning to end as a complete piece, if you like. And I can play that album through and I don't in any way jolt and say, oh God, that's misplaced, that's misplaced. In my opinion, the whole album flows from beginning to end to end on chorale. But then you've got those extra three tracks, so we put them on the CD. They're not a bonus track. They're off the beaten tracks, and I think that's a nice description.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's this album doesn't overstay. It's welcome if you if you go on Spotify, you've got the nine song uh, version there. And one of the things that I it always surprises me. Uh, you know, I listened to it several times today. I've listened to it a few times before that. But one of the things that always hits me is that when you listen to the visit, and then it goes into flying free, there is there is it's like the same track it's like you it's like all part of the same piece it doesn't seem like two different songs
1: it, it is the same piece or it, it was the same piece when dave lambert put his demo down for it and the vocals that he's uh, the, uh, his original demo version that he just still in his home recorder with one guitar but he played a little instrumental piece at the end and i said to him dave we ought to make that a separate little track in its own right I said, but don't make it the visit with it. And then that instrumental ending on it, put a break in it so that people can separate it if they want to, and they can display that little instrumental track on its own. So they what did they choose to? And I said, we, uh, what are going to call it? He said, I'll leave it up to you. So I said, yeah. he said, I said, well, it, it's, 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 it sounds free to me. So he said, well, flying free? I said, yeah, that'll do so that's how it came up but it, it is essentially one and the same piece but people can listen to it as a separate piece if they choose and they can listen to the visit if they choose to, to finish on that piece
0: yeah I, I enjoy that one quite a bit the instrumental there it's a very folky track it's got like layered acoustic guitar it sounds like it's got some of your banjo in there
1: it's my banjo playing the lead line and it's a heck of a different li- line to play. If you play a five-string banjo and you're in normal tuning, he said, winking, you wouldn't be able to play it. But I have a little tuning that I've developed for myself. I only know of two people in the world that I've shown it to. One is the guy who owns Sonny Osborne's banjo, the old bluegrass player. And he's a professor of banjo or country Americana in a... In a, in a university somewhere in West Virginia or something. Uh, and he said, I've never seen that tuning before. He said, it gives such a different flavor. And the other one was a drummer in a band that we did at some shows with in America. And he said, I play banjo as well. I said, have a look at this. I'll show you this tuning. And he said, my God, and then he emailed me so I can't stop playing it. But what it is, is that if you you wouldn't be able to if you have a regular five string banjo unless you know what i had done you would find it incredibly difficult to play so i put it in my little tuning it's still quite hard to play but it, it's it gives a flavor that nobody else that i know can play and then i played it on dave's uh, flying free there's my old my old bluegrass licks coming out on that but again still in that same tuning which gives it the strange edge to it
0: so we've got some proprietary straws right here. That uh, it's a it's a hidden secret.
1: Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of tunings on this uh, guitar tunings on this album. It's settlement is in an open E tuning. Uh, Strange times is in open D. Judgment Day is in straight tuning. No, it isn't. I played it in my modal tuning, but capoed up on the second fret. It gives it a strange sound. And if, combining my guitar, acoustic guitar, with Dave Lambert's sprangle guitar, as I call it, it the guitar's got a strange texture to it. Mine, are, I'm on one side of the stereo, he's on the other. When you listen to it, just say on the, in the car as you're driving along, you hear it as one sound. And it's got a lovely sounding guitar sound, which is unusual. Then you go to Each Manor of Man, that is in straight tuning. But then John Ford played the guitar on that. I didn't. So uh, then you go to Dave's Visit, and I played my banjo on that, then you go into uh Open E tuning for Quicksilver Days, then into my modal tuning for We Are Everyone, and then Chaz played the guitar on chorale.
0: How do you keep uh, your sorry to mean to interrupt you I just wondered how do you how do you keep your voice in such good shape. I mean, you've been doing this a long, long time. I hate to keep harping on that, but it, I mean, it, it's just an incredible uh, span of a career for to do anything, uh, let alone something like this. Uh, you know, music and and your voice has held extraordinarily well for a long, long time. Do you do anything special to take care of it?
1: I'll tell you what happened on when we were making the Ferryman's Curse. So I, my son, I went to my son's wedding in July. 2017 my youngest son and i was at the wedding reception and i moved a speaker on the stage and suddenly i had this agonizing pain down in my down below the belt in the groin i thought i had been stung by a wasp and or a, a bee and i took my trousers down and, oh and there was nothing there but it was agony and i had a hernia that developed and. The album was made in September. And when I was singing the vocals for The Ferryman's Curse, I had a severe hernia and I was in absolute agony, holding it in and singing. Somehow I managed to do it. We had to use the demo vocals that I'd done a year before for um, uh, Nails from the Hands of Christ, because I couldn't sing it again because I was in too much pain so i then went to hospital and had a hernia operation and the surgeon said that hernia started when you were 12 years old when i had an operation then and he said that has been waiting to burst all these years uh, he said that that's affected you all your life and it's affected the sound of my voice all these years and i found now i can hit higher notes than i've ever hit before I can sing better. And this album now is my voice as it should have been all those years ago when I first started. So my voice has been hampered by that hernia for 50 years, all those years ago. And it's only in the last four years that my voice has come back. And people are saying, how are you hitting those high notes? And, you know, it's it's, We Are Everyone is incredibly high. We are everyone. It it goes up very, very high. In fact, when Catherine sang it, she had to sing a harmony below me, which I thought was unbelievable. I thought she'd go up soaring above me, but no, she sings a lower harmony because I'm singing so high. I could never hit those notes in the early days. I can now hit notes now. People's voices tend to go down. My voice has gone up as a result. So I'm able to sing songs that I did years ago. And although my voice was creeping down, but I'm able to sing songs in their original keys, and it's as easy as pie.
0: That's incredible. <laughs> uh, to think that that uh, had been uh, a thing throughout your career, that's that's amazing. When someone listens to this album, they lay down, maybe on their couch, you have the headphones on, turn it up, and they listen to it start to finish. What do you want them to take away at the end of that listening experience? what do you hope that they that they feel or that they take away from that
1: this is the only album that i've ever made that i can continuously listen to over and over again especially the vinyl version that that length of the album i can listen to that over and over again i tend to drive around listen to the first bit get to the off the beaten tracks and stop there and then have a break and then drive back and listen to the rest of it. So I believe it was designed and laid down. It takes a lot of care and attention to make sure that every song you're putting down, the keys are varying so that all one side isn't all in the same key. The tempos vary. The the singers vary in this case. And normally I, 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 you know, I'm more than happy to have John Ford singing what I think is the best lyric on the album. That's Age, Manner of Man. And he sings it magnificently. And then we go into Dave Lambert and I'm as happy as Larry listening to that. That's me singing the mass choir in the back. all, the, all the, I call it the folk song, folk club vocals. Uh, it's like everybody used to join in the choruses of folk songs when you sang them. And so I thought, well, I'll sing the, the harmonies for that. But... It's the only album I can actually listen to. It's got a lovely flow to it. It's got, it tells the song, the lyrics are interesting to me. And I think that people, the comments I've had on it have been wonderful.
0: A lot of what I'm reading is that people are comparing it to song, you know, some of your albums from 71, 72. How does that make you feel when you, you're, you're releasing an album in 2021 that people are saying, stands up to to some of your your most beloved Straub's albums
1: i'm very proud of that fact that we could we've achieved it in such unusual circumstances don't forget i'm in folkestone Uh, chad cronk is 90 miles away in london dave lambert is 70 miles away on the isle of Sheppey. dave bainbridge is either 250 miles in away in lincolnshire and some of his parts were put down when he was in Mexico on his way to America. So he was recording in Mexico and sending it into blue. John Ford lives in New York. Jacques Joubert, the bass player, is in South Africa. And Catherine Craig lives in Northern Ireland. It's extraordinary that we've managed to put together an album under not difficult circumstances, but, you know, it, 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 it was a challenge, challenging circumstances. That stands up to albums that were made in studios, the best studios in London, some of them in the best studios in the world, at incredible expense. And this was made not cheap as chips, but it was, it was, it, compared with the budgets that we money we used to spend on albums, this would have made one track.
0: It's amazing. But uh, the album is Settlement, it's on Cherry Red Records, it's uh, available pretty much everywhere, and uh, Dave, I thank you for your time today. I, I wish you the best of success with this, and and I hope that if people get the the vaccine and and we get this pandemic under control, that maybe you guys will be able to perform some of this stuff live.
1: Who knows? You know, <laughs> I've I've had a vaccine, so you know I'm I'm like Superman. That's right. You no, know, but I, you know, but it's been a pleasure talking to. You and thanks for taking the trouble to put that picture up behind you it made me smile when i saw it
0: <laughs> no no problem at all I, I it's kind of it's kind of the thing that i i usually do but uh I, I i like that you that you noticed i like it when people notice right away and and it's uh it, it's, it's been great talking to you it's an album you guys should should be proud of as you said you were and um and i think it'll do well and i think strobs fans will enjoy it
1: oh bless you thank you very much and we look forward to coming back and seeing you
0: Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logographic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. For the free newsletter version, subscribe at substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.